Today on This Week Health. Language plays a big part of obviously how we communicate, right? And if a patient, they may speak Spanglish, when they're speaking to somebody that they speak a little different dialects of Spanish, there's a loss of an interpretation, right? They may respond and then the, the patient hears what's being said, but right there and then at that particular moment, they may lose trust. Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Carla Arzola, and I'm the IT Director at Swedish Medical Center, which is an HA facility here in Colorado. And for today's podcast, we're going to have as a guest somebody very, very, very special. His name is Eric Quinones. So Eric is the Chief Healthcare Advisor at Worldwide Technology. He's also a physician, technologist, innovator, strategist, patient advocate, you name it. That's what Eric is. So Eric, why don't you introduce yourself? Absolutely, Carla. So thank you for having me. Again, my name is Eric Quinones. I am one of our chief healthcare advisors here at Worldwide Technology. My background, boy, clinically, I've been a bond physician, but outside of that, I have been in healthcare IT, digital for over 20 plus years. And in one way or another, either as a user or as a leader, and really helping to transform healthcare by using obviously technology but not to do it in such a way where we leave out, obviously, our physicians and we leave out our patients and really trying to bring technologies that make sense to help the workflows and to help patient care, but to also think about the people and the process and the data as well. Absolutely. But thank you for the intro. And Eric, we talked about this before. This is really not a conversation about technology and the things that you've done because you've done wonderful things. And then we can definitely have another conversation to talk about that. But this is mostly for you and I to converse about some of the challenges that the industry or the healthcare industry is facing as our population is becoming more diverse, right? And so before we jump into that, we continue to celebrate Heritage Month, and you also have a Hispanic background. So why don't you tell us, again, what does the Hispanic heritage means to you? Like, what, what do you celebrate? Thank you, Carla. Yes, we definitely share that in common. And what does it mean to me? But it's interesting because not too long ago, we didn't really think of it as something that was really carved out from September to mid-October. It was just something that I guess I just always was part of my background, but as it's become more on the front end and we are discussing it more or acknowledging it more, what it means to me is really a appreciation and I would say an understanding of our accomplishments and our struggles as well as Latinos, as Hispanics, as whatever we want to call ourselves, right? We come in many different flavors from all over the world. But I think it's important to really take pause and not just for that period of time, but to really think about it. Really, I think about it almost every day and in one way or one form or another, especially, you know, as a father of an 18 year old and a 14 year old, there's a lot of lessons to teach and to make sure we continue our traditions, 
and to maintain our culture and make sure that that doesn't get lost in the world that we live in. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll, because I want to really talk a little bit about your background because your story is fascinating, right? You went from your parents coming from a different country and then you growing up here and then you becoming a doctor from a very, very recognized university, which is a huge accomplishment. And, And then after that, everything else that you've done. And so before that, so we talk about some statistics, right? We talk about, let's see, 20% of the population in the U.S. Hispanic is being Hispanic and Latino or Latino, which is the second largest ethnic group in the country. We also know that by 2050, 30% of the population will be Hispanic. This is super interesting. Well, let me, let me go to one before. There are 43 million Spanish speakers in the U.S. right now. And by 2050, 23 people will speak Spanish. And the stat that I absolutely love that you gave us was that the percentage of Latino physicians in the U.S. is only 2.5%. Correct. This, which is amazing. I mean, compared to the amount of Hispanic population that we have in the country, right? So we'll we'll talk about the impact in that. So one of the questions that I have for you is what is the role that language play relative to healthcare and education for the increasing population now and in the future? It's huge, Carla. And that's that's a great question. I think what happens is we sometimes forget that language plays a big part of obviously how we communicate, right? And words are important, as we've learned. And I think what we find is that when we're working with patients that may speak Spanish, and again, they may speak a certain type of Spanish, right? The words, the dialect, the meaning, because Spanish from, let's say, some parts of maybe Cuba are very different than other parts in Mexico or Honduras or other parts of Latin America, and or obviously Spain, right? The Castilian Spanish. So it's very different. And the words that we use can be maybe misinterpreted. And if a patient comes from a certain part of, let's say, Mexico or here in Los Angeles, they may speak Spanglish and they use Spanish in a way that they're accustomed to. And they're speaking to somebody that may have a very formal education of Spanish, or they speak a little different dialects of Spanish. There's a loss of an interpretation, right? So it can be that the patient may say something and the person listening is not really connecting and they may respond. And then the, the patient hears what's being said, but right there and then at that particular moment, they may lose trust in that particular, maybe it's a caregiver or maybe it's someone else. That's a part of the health system. So it's really important the language and the type of language that is being spoken to us that we take the time to understand. And I think a good way to do that is maybe if you don't speak, you speak your Spanish, right? And But you want to like open it up to the patient and say, hey, I speak Spanish, but, or I'm working on my Spanish and it may not, you know, and I'm going to work with you and you please work with me and correct me if I'm wrong. And I find when I speak to patients or others like that, they're very open to helping, but that's important to be the precursor prior to the relationship starting. Absolutely. And also not have assumptions. And I know you have a story about this one too, right? Sometimes people believe that because you have a Hispanic background or because you have a Hispanic last name, you speak Spanish. 
But then there's that generation, second or third generation of Mexicans that are in this country or just Hispanic people in this country that maybe they just didn't grow up learning Spanish and it's not great and they don't feel comfortable in that sense. So is that something, I mean, I know that you have a story in regards to that, right? It's okay. Can you share that story with us? Because I think it's just so interesting that, you know, again. Sure, sure. So I think that's a common thing. So I identify myself as Chicano, okay? So as a Chicano, I'm Mexican-American but I have a lot of pride in my culture, my Mexican roots, et cetera. But we were here, I've been here in the Southern, Cal I would say in the Southwest for about nine generations. My European ancestry goes back to the early 1500s in the New Mexico area. So it was Mexico then. So we've been here for a long time. However, I don't speak Spanish fluently. And why that happened is during the 50s and 60s, a lot of Spanish speaking, maybe Mexican American peoples went through a lot of prejudice when they spoke Spanish in public places. So for example, my parents, they were disciplined for speaking Spanish in school. So they didn't want their kids to go through the same experience. So they didn't teach us Spanish. Where I learned Spanish was at my grandparents or with my grandparents. So I learned Spanglish. So I would speak to my grandmother in Spanish or English and she would speak to me in Spanish. And I picked it up along the way, of course. Something that I found interesting happened to my son just recently. So he's 14, starting high school, last name's Quinones, skin color is like mine. And the Spanish teacher said to him, shouldn't you be in Spanish too? Didn't know him from anybody else, but called him out in front of class. And he said, no, I've never had Spanish. Well, she carried on and she formally tried to get him pushed to Spanish too through administrative channels. My wife got involved and she said, no, he's never had formal Spanish. We speak English here in the household. And it got to the point when she made it official and tried to get him pushed to Spanish too, I got involved. And I don't like to do that, but I got involved and I told her very directly, I'm like, no. And I explained to her why. And I go, is it because he has a Spanish surname? Is it because he's dark skinned? He speaks some Spanish because he plays soccer at a very high level and the teammates he's had and some of the coaches he has had also speak Spanish, right? So he's picked up phrases here and there, but he is by no means does he have the fundamentals and the foundation. And so anyway, long story short, I even noted, I go, his sister just graduated the year before, same last name, lighter complected. She never got questioned. And wow. right then and there, she was very apologetic. She said, okay, we're going to keep him Spanish one. And we're fine, but that happens. So the assumptions can go both ways. Yes. Right. We'll get back to our show in just a moment. I'd like to share with you an upcoming webinar we have on October 13th. We have Delivering Better Patient Experiences with Modern Digital Infrastructure. During that conversation, we're going to talk about multi-cloud. We're going to talk about modernizing health IT infrastructure and a blueprint for creating an agile digital infrastructure without impacting quality of care. The webinar has five campaign episodes. You can view them before the webinar, and you can find all that stuff on our website, thisweekhealth.com. Also, join us on November 3rd for Cyber Insecurity in Healthcare the cost of impact on patient safety and care. Cyber criminals have shut down cr clinical trials and treatment studies and cut off hospitals access to patient records demanding multi-million dollar ransoms for their return. Our webinar will discuss IT budgeting, project priority and in distress communications to serve our patients affected by cyber criminals. You can register for both webinars at thisweekhealth.com. Just click on the upcoming webinar section in the top right-hand corner 
And I look forward to seeing you there. Right, right, absolutely. I think those are the things that we just kind of keep in mind as we are engaging with people, whether they're our colleagues or patients or whomever. And it doesn't necessarily have to be Hispanic, right? It's just any other culture that migrated to the U.S. at some point. It's just like we just can't assume, first of all, that they're familiar with our environment. And second of all, that they speak either language, either not English or English. So things that we're facing and, and we just kind of have to create more awareness about. And so another thing that I want to ask you is, what are some of the societal and environmental issues that the Hispanic population are facing? And what can we do to address these issues, Eric? Well, I think there's a lot of societal issues that we face. And I think that it can, you name it from the example I just gave about my son, that's in school or in healthcare. If I think about healthcare, I think about patients reaching out to get care, right? So for example, they may not trust the system of healthcare because they themselves may be afraid that they may be deported, for example, but they may really need the care. Right. So what I've seen is that a lot of times is that patients will literally go across the border and get care in Mexico where they feel comfortable. And then they have to come back here with their families. So, and they may be US citizens. I'm just saying like, they just don't trust the system. Right. And for whatever reason, and I've seen that happen. So there's a lot of things I think that need to be addressed in terms of education and trust is really a big one. So really having to, helping to build that trust. But again, it goes back to the statistic that you noted. We don't have enough Latino, Hispanic physicians, care clinicians, caregivers, right? Literally with two and a half percent of our million plus physicians, that's not a lot. Right. So we really have to do better and to be able to bridge that gap so we can build that trust. Yeah. I, I think that may, if that makes some sense. Absolutely. I mean, the ratio is just not equivalent, right? I mean, we have 2.5% of physicians and then we have our population, it's 20% Hispanics. And the problem that you were saying that happens is like people go across the border, but then when people become really sick, they end up going to the hospital and we still cannot provide the care that we need to because we don't have historical information about the patient. Right. Uh, we don't know how they like to communicate. There's not that connection and that becomes a bigger problem, right? right? And so as we all know, we spend millions and billions and trillions of dollars in healthcare. And one of the factors is specifically that people are going to the doctor the way until become critically ill. And then it becomes expensive. And so there's definitely work that we as technologists needs to do to be able to address those issues proactively is like, how can we connect with our patients, right? How can we communicate with them? And then the other thing that I was going to tell you about it was interesting is speak English to some first generation, but then my parents don't. And so we still go as a family with a doctor to try to connect. So how does that happen, right? But I still have the customs that I grew up with. So I expect the same, even though I speak English and they speak Spanish. Would you agree with that? Right. And that's true. I mean, that's, you know, when my grandparents were alive, I did the same thing. And I had to interpret a lot for them. And matter of fact, this goes back to uh, my grandmother was a very good patient. She really was awesome. She did everything that the doctor told her to do. Yes. So telehealth wasn't even a word back. I would say it wasn't a, a very common word back in those days, but I had one of my first telehealth visits with my grandmother. 
I had gone home. I was back east, and but I'd gone home to back in Wilmington in Los Angeles, and I set up their computer and I set up their network and everything, and uh, I told her how to show her how to use it so we can communicate because I'm very close to my grandparents. And one day I'm speaking with her, and she's talking to me, and I noticed her. She was a little labored in her breathing, and then I asked her to take the camera. Let me see her ankles, and so she I go press on your ankles. So she had edema, and I said, okay, let me call my aunt. And let me have her come and take you to your doctor. Actually, she had to go to urgent care. So it took her to urgent care. But if it wasn't just that connection where I'm able to communicate with my grandmother, she would not have had that intervention early on. She would have been taken to the hospital via ambulance. So yeah, so it's important for sure. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's lucky enough to have a grandson that is a physician and obviously that has that communication, right? And you're asking the right question. So the majority of the people doesn't have that. And so it's very important that they definitely have that trust on their physician, whether it's Hispanic or not, to be able to have those conversations and make sure that we're preventing an event, a critical event. And so we talked about, obviously, physicians, and we can talk about technologists as well, and the industry in general. I mean... There's not that many Hispanics. I was actually telling you a story in which I'm highlighting our Hispanics executives this month. And it wasn't that easy to, I mean, it was a handful of people that I could reach out to, right? And yet, I mean, we are in an industry in which on a daily basis, we're making decisions on how to take care of people. And so what are your thoughts and how can we make sure that we're uplifting those communities, like in this case, per se, Hispanic leaders, in the industry to make sure that they're collaborating and they're bringing their ideas into making sure, and again, we're brought up into those conversations because obviously you understand what that population needs. So what do you think we could do, Derek? What are some of your ideas? That's a good question. And I think it starts with having the opportunities to do mentoring. And again, sometimes those opportunities come in a very official way. I mean, there's mentoring programs, right? Or maybe not so official, or maybe it's just more organic. But I think not just waiting on the sidelines to let it happen to you. Like in other words, both ways, though, the mentor and the mentee, Mm -hmm. right? So I think as the mentor, because I've had that luxury or that that honor, I should say, to be a mentor and uh, to be able to do that, I've had to actively go and I've done both. I've had like official programs. And then sometimes I have had these organic situations occur where I wasn't looking to be a mentor and nor were they maybe looking to have a mentor relationship, the mentee. And but it just organically developed. So I think it's to be proactive, to be mindful of it. To understand that we as, let's say, leaders, we have a big responsibility because we have to be able to go back into either our communities or the places that we work in and look for those folks that are actually trying to gain access into IT or into healthcare, for example. And I do work with my best friend and I went to medical school together. He's Colombiano. And we do a lot of work in this area and we try to do mentoring with young med students. Okay. And as they're coming, making the journey across, it's not very easy, right? And what I mean across, meaning the journey to medical school and the residency and all that stuff, it's a very, it's a crazy path and not always geared for folks like myself, right? So to be able to help and show that, hey, if I can do it, honestly, you can do it. Then the same with IT. It's a path that I took because I really loved 
the possibility of using technology in healthcare. And this is in the early days of EHR development. I really love, I just saw the writing on the wall. That just makes a lot of sense. And I'm like, why are we doing it that way with paper? And so moving forward to be able to bring new ideas and a new population, a new generation into the industry, it's an active engagement. It's not passive. So that's my point is you need to be active about it on yeah. both sides. Absolutely. So mentor and the mentee need to be active. So if I'm a mentee, I need to be out looking and trying to find, well, who's somebody I'd like to emulate? Who is that person? So yeah. yeah. And, and it sounds easier said than done, right? Obviously it's not, because it just depends where you're coming from. And you and I talked about our cultures being, you know, we didn't know where we were coming to this country, what we needed to do in order to be successful. We kind of learned along the way and it was not planned. It was just like you said, we were lucky that the opportunities presented to us and we took them, but then it just, it, it, it didn't come natural asking for help either. And so I think you have the right point, right? We need to be intentional as leaders to ask anybody that needs help to come to us. And this is something, I mean, you and I are taught having this conversation. I am volunteering myself for any of you that are out there that have a question, need help. You can always reach out to Eric and us and, and me, and we can tell you our story and we can share some of the things that we've done, right? That made us get to where we are. I obviously still have ways to go, but I think I'm on the right path. And, and you're absolutely right, Eric. I think it's just ask for help. Right. Don't be shy. I know it could be intimidating, but find somebody that you can really trust and just ask for help. So what else do you want to add just to close our segment? Great. Anything else you think is important? I think right now is a wonderful time in the sense of, well, in healthcare, there's a lot of change happening. There's a lot of things happening on the technology front in healthcare. So that's exciting. But bringing it back to Hispanic Heritage Month, Latinx Heritage Month, I'm very proud being Latino. I am super proud. Like if you know me, like if you come to my house, it's everywhere. It's in my food. It's in my heart. It's everywhere. And I think that's something that we have to continue to embrace and remember where we come from because the road isn't always defined and there could be many obstacles and many detours. But when you remember where you come from, that helps give you some sense of peace and direction. So there you go. Well, thank you for that. That's absolutely true. Very inspiring. I mean, I've known your story you shared with me, so it's very inspiring to me. And I am honored to have shared this space with you, Eric. I'm very excited that I got to meet you as well, because I mean, again, we just met maybe what, a month, three weeks ago or something like that. So it's been very right. short period of time, but I've enjoyed our conversations and I can wait to continue our conversations and at some point, hopefully collaborate, but I appreciate the time and you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. And likewise, I look forward to actually meeting you in person very soon. Yes. Absolutely. We will. Take okay. care. Well, vamos. Bye bye. I really love the show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. There's Keynote, Town Hall, and Newsroom. Check them out today, and thanks for listening. That's all for now.